Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Now, Distinct Nostalgia's big interview to celebrate 35 years of casualty. Ashley sat down for an extensive chat over a brew with none other than Kath Shipton, who played iconic character Duffy for decades. Kath was right there at the start and has lots of great stories. This is a very special interview for an important anniversary. Enjoy. Kath, it's um, great to, to talk to you. Now, um, I mean, casualty, really. We'll talk to you a little bit about some other things in your career. I know you've done a lot of other things as well. But casualty, when you're thinking about it now, is, is it's become an institution, hasn't it? I mean, it's been around since 1985, 86. And you were there at the very beginning, I think, weren't you? Tell us a bit about the early days and how it all came about. Because I remember Saturday nights in the 80s as a boy... It was always Juliet Bravo before Casualty came along. So where did it all come from? Well, actually, it's great that you bring up Juliet Bravo because the producer of Juliet Bravo was a bloke called, a man called um, Geraint Morris, Welshman, sadly no longer with us. And his training ground had been things like Zed Cars and uh, Softly Softly. I think he was like a, a third AD and a runner and he'd worked his way up technically um, right up to producer, and he produced the Aned- he produced the Aneedin line, um, just to ring some bells there. But Juliet Bravo, that was the Saturday anchor for scheduling, really. And I suppose, I mean, I obviously learned about all of this in retrospect once I joined the show. But within the BBC, they sort of put out. I think it went up on a notice board. We're looking, I mean, literally pinned on a notice board. We're looking for a new Saturday night, eight o'clock show. Any ideas? And, uh, you know, there was no email then or any of the digital fandango that we've got now. And um, two young guys, Jeremy Brock and Paul Unwin, um, were actually, they'd both been to Bristol University and they wanted to break into TV and writing And they had a job, they read scripts for the BBC and they saw this. And it was these guys, complete newbies, who around their kitchen table in a flat in South London somewhere, came up with a a family, i.e. the cast of Casualty. But it kind of was modelled on mum, dad, bit of a rebellious daughter and characters like that and uh, extended family characters. Um pitched the show and Geraint run with it. And I do understand that Julia Smith, who then had had the success of EastEnders, pitched, but hers didn't get, you know, the cream rose with Geraint. So so that was the history of how the show came into being. And that was very Geraint. He was a maverick, as far as I was concerned. And he absolutely trusted his instincts and it didn't matter to him that these boys were untested and un, un, you know they weren't hadn't weren't BBC types because he knew he could put that stamp on the show he just loved their idea and he knew there was nothing like it his whole background was looking at our public services um, in a dramatic way so he knew all the ways of getting the right writers in. Um, but they had this idea. And and yeah, I mean, who'd have thought? I don't know how many series later, 34 years or something later, um, it's still, you know, pride of place. They called it, I mean, one scheduler called it the jewel in the crown of the Saturday night scheduling. 
I went to some dinner somewhere and this guy I didn't know and, and he was a scheduler. He was a BBC scheduler for programmes and he said, Saturday night's always sorted for me because I know I've got casualty bang in there and whatever I put after, we're going to get a good viewing and running up, we're going to get because, you know, generation game or something before. But and Saturday night was their clincher um, with casualty. Yeah. What's interesting about casualty is I've not religiously watched it, but I've dipped in and out over the years. And it, it's weird because it, it's one of these programmes that you, you sit down, and you think, oh, do I really want to have, uh, you know, some drama in my life on a Saturday night? But it draws you in. It, it, whatever it does, casualty always manages to draw you in. It, it's such fantastic um, drama and always has been. Obviously, things have changed a bit over the years. Styles and things have changed the way it's done and all the rest of it. I'm not quite keen on some of the new camera techniques, if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. But the storylines, um, the, the way it's written and everything, it, it, it's fabulous. So take us back to right at the beginning then in terms of how you got the part then of, of Duffy. Oh, gosh. Um, well, there is a little bit of a story there because... Um, Honest to goodness, the year of 1985 was my anus horribilis. And I had been out the biz- out plying my trade for about five years. And also without getting too, per- well, it's personal, but it's true. I lost my dad that year. And sometimes things like that really kind of, um, my dog has just joined me, but he's being very quiet. <laughs> we'll test you later and we'll say, has she been telling the truth? What's going on? Yeah. Several barks. Um, for the- <laughs> yeah. so, um, so those kinds of years make, you know, things like that, you reflect on your life. And I thought, well, I've been in this business for five years. I don't know if I've made much headway. Perhaps I'll go to my um, plan B, which was to be a journalist. I wanted to be a Kate A.D. or a, or like, you know, I wanted to be a, like a correspondent and out there um, because I speak languages and things. So my plan was to go in 86 to uni to work for a year and go to uni in 1986. And um, out of the blue... I get a call from my agent. I was with an actor's co-op. So we all agented ourselves. And we had people like Tom Watt and Paul Medford who were in EastEnders. I mean, we had, you know, um, Julie Walters started it um, when she was at Coventry Rep with Pete Postlethwaite and Janet Dale. So it had a very good pedigree. So, um, But she moved on by then because obviously things had happened for her. But um, so... Uh, January 1986, uh, um, breakdown comes in for casualty. Nobody had heard of it before. And they rang me up because we always had input and said, well, they're looking for a blonde bubbly receptionist. And I said, oh, right. Yeah. I said, are they casting any sort of young nurses um, or social workers? And I said, why? And I said, because everybody thinks I'm a nurse, a social worker or a teacher, you know, because I'm, I'm half Irish. So I sort of talk to people. So I'm someone I'll be the pain talking to you at the bus stop and things like that. But um, so people always guessing what I do or if you go to parties or whatever. And they said, yeah, there's this nurse called Duffy. And she's um, it says here she's mad keen on astrology and she can't keep a boyfriend. And I went, oh, right. That sounds a bit like me because <laughs> believe it or not. All through drama school and my teens, I plotted astrological charts. It was this thing I <laughs> got into really quite seriously with Miss Et Square and Ruler. And Michael Eaves, who was at um, Manchester University with Ben Elton, 
Michael Eaves wrote me the best letter. And it was really funny. And apparently this letter made everybody at BBC Threshold House in Shepherd's Bush. It just rose because we wrote letters in those days. They just laughed so much and said, on the strength of this letter, we've got to meet this, this, this Kath, Catherine. At that time, I was teaching aerobics. That's how I um, kept the wolf from the door. And suddenly the receptionist comes running in. She goes, it's your agent and the BBC want to see you. And I said, well, I can't go till three o'clock because I'm teaching bums and tums. <laughs> you don't say that to the BBC. And I said, because there wasn't a snowball in hell's chance I'd get the job because I wasn't going into acting anymore, was I? And, uh, I, and I said, tell them I can be there at three because I was, you know, I've got to teach me class. Um, I borrowed the receptionist's outfit because I had pink lycra and <laughs> sweatpants and everything. So she said, well, I'll put on all my gear um, and sweat stuff and you can borrow this because it looked like a, a nurse. And I went in and I met Geraint and honest to goodness, I mean, it's like I'm talking to you now because I never thought they were going to give me a job. It's the BBC who's going to give me an unknown a job. I went in, I was cheeky, I was chatting. Um, he didn't ask me about acting. He, we just had a chat, we just had a conversation. And I couldn't believe, actually, no. Now, that was my second interview. The first interview was with Frank Smith, who was the director. He didn't have an office, he didn't have a secretary, he didn't have a script. And we sort of perched in this empty room and had a chat and he was very shy. So I had to really keep things going. Next day, back teaching bums and tums, same phone call. And they said, they want to see you again. And that's when I went in and saw Geraint Morris. And he again, chatting away, me just being me, talking about my experiences. I had been to, um, I'd, I'd had a dodgy ankle and uh, I'd had to work on it. And I, because you have to work you know, if you're doing a theatre job, you have to work. So I bandaged up this ankle and then carried on with the play. Three weeks later, I went in to see a nurse and she tore strips off me. So he was quite interested that I wasn't saying all nurses were angels, you know, and she was a tough Liverpudlian who said, well, what's the point in doing that? You know, you come in here three weeks later. And then as I was leaving the office, he held up my photo, my spotlight picture and he said, if I wanted a nurse, I'd want her to look like this. If I needed a nurse, I didn't realise that was actually a covert offer. I didn't know it at all. Got home, of course, the answer machine's going mad. And they go, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it. And I said, what, what? And, and, and they said, the job, you've got, you've got to come into the office, we've got a champagne, you've got it. And that, that, my life turned around in like two days. And, and that was Geraint. Geraint was backing a hunch. He, I, he knew I had done no TV. He just thought we clicked. And, and he, you see, Maverick took a gamble. And there you go. And that, and that was Duffy. <laughs> the start of Duffy, yeah. With the Bristol accent. Less said about that, the better, but hey. <laughs> we'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. This I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Don't, don't, don't play with it. No. Take that shit seriously. Um, so that's oh, fabulous. It's fabulous, isn't it? And and you're right. You know, it's, it's they obviously were taking a gamble, weren't they? Taking a risk, and you know, and and, and I suppose to be honest, I think they did more of that though back then, didn't they? In a way, yeah. than they do yeah, now. Very, you know, yeah. Very much. The, uh, the other um, young actress that was brought in was Debbie Rosa. She lives in Canada now and we keep in touch like on Facebook and everything. Um, and she was it was, in fact, the complete reverse because she's Asian and um, she played the receptionist. Um, and instead of um, the blonde, bubbly receptionist, it was Debbie. And Debbie's trope was that she wore very bright colours, big, chunky earrings and never had the same colour hair each week. Um, so she, you know, there was a sort of, and she was, um, she gave as good as she got. She shot from the hip was her character, but oh. neither of us, and we were both Bristolian and we were going, what are we going to do? I'm not from British. Why have they asked us? And it's TV and it's our first job, you know, <laughs> God. but, uh, yeah, it, it didn't seem to, I don't know. It's, it just all seemed to gel. And that was Geraint. He really, he had. Just brilliant instincts. He put that team together. That first, um, I suppose we were that first cast were together two or three years before there were some changes brought in. I mean, Charlie's still there, and on enough, I've been there, so he must have got something right. And I know the audience would have loved more of them to have been there through the years, but he definitely the template for that show. That's why it's lasted for so long because his that's his instinct and nous. So what did you get to know then at that early stage about, obviously you knew it was about a hospital, it was casualty department, that kind of thing. And we'd, had, we'd obviously had hospital dramas before. There'd been Emergency Ward 10 and General Hospital and various other things. But what was really going to be different about this? What was the main thrust of how different this was going to be, do you think? Well, it, it was interesting because it was kind of buy one, get one free because it was, it was kind of replicated in its position within the BBC. When we first met, we, we all sort of went off. There were all the writers and Geraint and, the, and, his, and Mike Bartley, who was his uh, line a producer, his line producer, money man was Mike Bartley. And we all went into this room and it felt like the burgeoning thorn in the side of the BBC. <laughs> Politically, he actually, Geraint kind of gave us the Charlie speech at that very first read-through, which was, this is pro-NHS, unashamed anti-cuts. We are the, um, the premise of this show, because at that time there weren't 24-hour hospitals and you'd, you'd, some of the biggies would be open or you'd ring an ambulance and get taken in. But, and I know there's a lot of hospitals shutting down now, so people have to look twice to find a 24-hour. So the whole premise was, you at Plymouth, played by Bernard Gallagher, was the night shift consultant, and he was setting up a dedicated night shift within an inner city hospital. And he was fighting the money men and women. In, within the NHS to establish this and they were willing it to fail and so we were his 
it was like Geraint was saying to us as actors, right, we're going to do something different within the BBC here. And it, we can't be political because it's non-partisan. But boy, is this going to be political. And Charlie is going to be a, a union rep. And our storylines will be political storylines. And so that was Geraint. And then you at Plymouth, Bernard Gallagher, was saying to us, uh, this little huddle, it was saying, are you in or are you out? Because we're going to get a lot of flack. This is going to be tough. You're going to be doing night shifts and people haven't done that before. We're going to encounter very different patients in a night shift. And, and so that kind of bonded the team in the same way it kind of bonded the actors. And in fact, by the second series, um, what's her name? Edwina Curry stood up in the house and was actually questioning the partisan nature of casualty. There were questions in the house. The Observer on the Sunday, I remember, I probably got a clipping of it here somewhere, of the headlines saying, you know, casualty is a, a, a complete um, mockery of what the BBC charter is about. Um, and we were all going, yes, you know, <laughs> we're doing the right thing. And of course, the audience loved it, absolutely loved it, because they saw their lives reflected in the show, because it wasn't slick. You saw, um, I think this was also what Geraint wanted to bring in and what a lot of shows have followed. Um, I mean, ER, people, when they were setting up ER in America, they came over to study how we did our show. They rehearsed each episode three weeks. We just did ours on the hoof, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, but uh, it, yeah, it was very much, um, we knew we were breaking ground with that show. And it was wonderful, sort of, before it hit the screens, because we started in the February, and it didn't come out until the September. And, you know, that first episode, um, it, yeah, you can see all the kind of, you know, it was outside location and then into the studio and, and slightly different forms of filming and then, you know, VT. But in fact, I mean, it really put down its marker. And went from strength to strength. And my character, I mean, I think, her, you know, her, her longevity was that they absolutely played out the life of a young woman developing into a, a, an adult and becoming, you know, a professional in her life and, and, try, and having family and children and all of that. And reflected, reflected people's lives, you know. And, and that was, that's Geraint. That's all Geraint and Paul and Jeremy. So do you remember your first days on set and everything? Do you remember getting having to get used to this hospital, you know, this the, the, well, and sort of the, all the, the just all the, the intricacies of it? You know, tell yeah, us a bit about see, those very early days playing Duffy. Well it was it you know, when you dismantle it, it's very strange because what happened what would happen is you were sent six episodes and then you did the location for all of those six episodes stand alone without have ever having gone into the studio the, the because everything it was where the accidents happened and so particularly the first one it was filmed in bristol i mean it was meant to you know everybody knew it was bristol 
And I remember my entrance was St. Michael Hill, Michael's Hill. And at the top of St. Michael's Hill is actually a hospital, but I think that might have been used for, for the frontage. And it was just me talking, I think, to Debbie's character, uh, coming up the hill and we both sort of appear. So it's, it's voices before you see us and it's my character complaining about a boyfriend. Now, I'd never... That was my first filming on Casualty, going to work. Without all the cast, it was just me and Debbie. To, uh, you turn up and stay in a hotel, go to location and say your line. So we did, we did about six weeks, six to eight weeks of that. And then you go right back to the very first episode, do what nobody ever does anymore now, a wonderful table read, which is where the whole cast for the very first one episode come in and you read it. And then the producer listens and comes back and gives feedback. And then what we did, I can't believe it, we rehearsed for a whole week in North Acton Rehearsal Studios. And that was just like jaw-dropping. I'd get in the lift and David Bowie would be in the lift, you know, because he might have been doing um, Top of the Pops or something. Or I'd get in the lift and there was John Gielgud. One time I got in the lift and there was, oh, who was it? It was um, Charlie Drake. I mean, these people just in the lift. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm just Catherine Forrest Hill. What am I doing here? You know, and the people you queue up with. And then so you'd go into this rehearsal room. And of course, the BBC, it's just a machine. You just get enveloped in this machine. The whole room is laid out like the studio set. They've got it there and you haven't got a clue because it's flat and, I'm, and they've got a set and you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they've got poles and they're saying the poles are the edge of the cubicles. So don't forget, you have to do the curtain. So all of us will be going in going, whoosh, and my first shot, I walked in on the real set in BBC Studio D in White City. And I went, and they went, Kath, you don't have to do that because there's a real curtain, you know, all of this ridiculousness. Um, yeah, so we'd rehearse for a week and then we'd go into Studio D, which was the biggest one. And the whole set was put up. And it was the old-fashioned filming way with traps, a gallery, the first with the producer upstairs. You would film for two days and you would do all the studio work with three cameras. And I just thought, because, I, 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 I mean, I, I was so, so scared. I can't, I'm terrified. And... Bernard Gallagher, because, you know, you turn up. I remember the first read-through day, I turned up. So you've got Derek Thomas, Thompson, Derek Thompson, um, you know, Gentle Touch and Long Good Friday. You've got Brenda Fricker, who's a force of nature. You've got Bob Pugh playing the piano in the corner, like Les Dawson, you know, playing it badly. And everyone's like mad. They're all like bouncing, you know. And of course, everybody could smoke then. So the room's a complete fog of smoke because everybody smoked. I didn't. But everybody was smoking because they're all nervous like this. Oh, Lord. And I just kept thinking I had lied about my age because I was 28. And I said I was 24 because I thought if she's newly qualified, she can't be 28. And they all believed I was, you know, I look younger than, thank you, mother's genes. Um, I... And I thought, they're going to find out. They're going to sack me. I know. I'm That's what I lived my first sort of year on casualty was they're going to sack me because I've lied about my age. And then, of course, you've got to fill in the forms and put your proper age down when you fill in your work forms and all your, you know, your NI number. And it never came back on me. 
Um, that very first day that we filmed, just a, a little sort of Philip here, um, I had long hair like I have now. And I thought, what am I going to do for costume for my hair? Because nurses, they got to put it up. We all had to wear hats. So I practiced that French plait. And I went in and makeup artist is there. And of course, you know, they know I'm a newbie. So she was a lovely woman. I can't remember her name, but I know she was Australian, quite tough. And she says, so what are we going to do with all of this? And I said, what about this? And I went, and I did my hair into that. And she went, well, it looks a little bit professional. I said, yes, but you've just seen me do it. And she went, yeah, but I mean, would a nurse do that? I mean, I said, well, you can pull out a few wisps. And then Geraint Morris at that moment walked through the makeup department to say good luck to everybody. He looked at my hair and he said, oh, I like that. We'll keep that. That's a bad Welsh accent, by the way. And, um, and that became Duffy's signature hairdo. And when Anne Robinson was writing in the mirror and doing points of view, I don't think a week went by when she didn't say, Duffy's hair was messy this week. I think she's going through problems. Duffy's hair's looking smart. I think she's got a boyfriend. <laughs> and the nurses started turning up with that hairstyle. And I remember once somebody sent me a letter saying, I took my little girl in and she was really nervous because she'd done something. We had to go to A&E. And she saw the back of a nurse with your hairstyle and went, oh, look, mummy, there's a Duffy. It's going to be all right. That You know, so I don't know how these things come about. Yeah, obviously... Duffy over the years has evolved as a character. When you look back, though, now I'm sure you've looked back occasionally at episodes or whatever, or you can remember, you know, what was she like at the beginning? What, what give us an impression of what, what, how did you play her? What was she, what kind of character was she right at the very beginning of Casualty? Yeah. I suppose, actually, I mean, Keen is Keen, she's she was more than Keen. I think there was a there was something kind of quite earnest about her. She was serious. I mean, she took. She took the vocation and her, tra she took it very seriously. And um, I think it was, I mean, in a way, a kind of seesaw. She wasn't particularly great in her personal life, but she was, but where she excelled and where she became like 100% herself was being a nurse. And so that, and that's what Geraint said, because he, 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 he said, she's a good nurse, you know. Cause, and then off the back of that, they could bring in like a student nurse that's not going to, you know, have a, an easy path. But they wanted, I suppose they wanted all of that original cast in one way or another to be a hero, but to be like the extraordinary, ordinary person, you know. Um, like we think of the people that are coping with COVID and everything now, you know, those are they are the heroes, the NHS heroes, That's and they're unsung. And that's very much where Geraint wanted things to go. So it didn't, it, it meant that what was fantastic about um, the, the background to all of the characters is that they all had a personal life which would be alluded to, not as much as it's sort of become now. I, You know, that's the soapy element that's sort of taken over, but it was more subtle then. And then they had to come in and put the professional face on. And whatever was going on in their life, they needed to to person up and and help whoever, you know, uh, that came through those doors. And she, and Duffy was well up for that. I think she was courageous. She was dedicated. Um, 
quite tough. She didn't mind not being liked, um, which is why the character progressed to being a sister and to being quite assuming authority. Because if you do that, you know, you, you sometimes, again, you, you have to put your marker down and just say, oi, that's not enough, you know. And you can do that. It's done in comic ways and it's done in, you know, I remember, I think it's Charlie Creed Mills. There's a lovely scene and he's a big Mohican punk and she's going and he's giving her a load of jip and being the big I am. And now she's going to stick a needle in him. And she says, oh, you're just going to feel a little prick, you know. And the, I mean, that goes around on Twitter every year that gets brought out. But it's just that kind of, in the end, the nurse or the doctor is going to have the, you know, they can actually um, have the final word. And not in a, one of the things about the show that Garrett was very, um, uh, um, it, it was his mission thing was that nobody can ever be put off going into a hospital because of what they can see in that show. You know, it wasn't what um, Jed Mercurio went on to do. I mean, not much later, didn't he do the show with Helen Baxendale and all the young doctors like the Tom Shutt? You know, that was much darker and and possibly closer to what was going on. In a way, not that ours was um, a walk in the park, but it did it did try to resolve the issues it brought up. And it did try to have an element of feel good at the end of each episode. Um, so for Duffy, yeah, I think she's dedicated, earnest, reliable. That's what I think Geraint meant when he held up my picture um, and possibly saw it in me. So you just don't know, you know, um, what you kind of give off. <laughs> The Awesome arrives on Distinct Nostalgia with a host of new soap, drama, comedy and entertainment treats, including Casualty at 35. We mark the show's milestone birthday by meeting the woman who uttered the very first words. I think the first words were goodnight. <laughs> Seems good. ironic, but yes. <laughs> and then in actual birthday week, Distinct Nostalgia meets a woman who became one of the main female faces fans took to their heart for several decades. Kathy Shipton, who became Duffy. So you'd go into this rehearsal room. The whole room is laid out like the studio set. They've got it there and you haven't got a clue. And then they've got poles and they're saying the poles are the edge of the cubicles. So all of us will be going in going... Whoosh, and my first shot, I walked in on the real set in BBC Studio D in White City and I went, and they went, Kath, you don't have to do that because there's a real curtain, you know, all of this ridiculousness. And we've other casualty blasts from the past as we repeat our conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan. And then there's some intriguing soap specials. We're meeting the first Tracy, Christabel Finch, who played the character from her birth in 1977. It felt very normal because it'd been like ever since I was a baby, I'd been there every single week filming. Get out of school, get out of the spelling test and go down to the studios. My friends were not very aware of it. And I remember one person saying to me, saying, are you on Sesame Street? And I was like, no, I'm on Coronation Street. And we've a surprise Emmerdale reunion. There's also a magpie reunion. What was very different about ours is, first of all, we were all much better looking. Oh, God, <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> I think we were younger than the Blue Peter presenters. You know, just a bit more 
in tune with the people that watched us. We had 7 million people watching twice a week. And Tim Vincent goes in search of Valerie Singleton, bumping into other Blue Peter stars along the way. Stuart Miles, Tim Vincent, as I never breathe. Uh, what are you calling me for? What do you want? Well, I'm actually looking for uh, Valerie Singleton's number, but of course, I'm checking in on you. Trips to Sun Hill and The Bill. Memories of Darling Buds of May, The Tomorrow People, and interviews with classic stars Jeanette Scott and Melvin Hayes, and legendary TV composer Dennis King. Our great sitcom writer series continues as we sit down with Clement and Lafrenet, who penned Porridge and The Likely Lads. That had an instant response. The very next day I was shooting a commercial and nobody had any idea that I had anything to do with it, but I heard them all talking about it. and That, that made me feel that maybe we had another hit. And as well as all that, we've got the quiz. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. A bumper autumn of memories. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Now, of course, at that particular time, it was the mid-1980s, viewing figures for something on a Saturday night would have been absolutely massive. I mean, it's still big today, to be honest, but back then it was huge. Mm. So you'd gone from being completely unknown Mm. to being very well-known very quickly. Did that have, how did that impact on you at that time? Well, it's interesting you say that. I think um, it didn't feel overnight because I consider that my character was a blue flash with a kidney bowl running, you know, is this thing <laughs> flashing through? Because, um, you know, I mean, it was by the end of the first series when she was attacked on the way to work. And that that was, a. I mean, it's a, well, it's drama, isn't it? It's very well, it was written by Lisa Mayer, um, and it was directed by Jan Sargent. And I, the character had hardly any dialogue. It was all done through looks and fi- it was quite a non-verbal um, episode in terms of the amount of dialogue. So it was about reacting. And some, there was a key change in how my character was perceived by the public and perceived by the writing teams. Because what happened with that particular episode was that Duffy didn't tell her colleagues what had happened to her. They knew, but she didn't go into detail. She battened down the hatches. She didn't take it to the police, which was very Duffy. You know, I can cope, I can cope. A bit of a loner. And she shared that um, event with the public and that became her secret with the public. And do you know, I only thought about this years later, that her vul- they saw her vulnerability, and I think that fed into a kind of um, popularity for the character or, or a feeling that they knew her and that they saw that she was broken and putting herself back together. And that's what I meant about the humanity, really. I mean, for me, I didn't feel that I was... I suppose it was about the second or third series that I start because you see if I let my hair down and just put me me civvies on it's like the whole thing about a uniform if you see a policeman out of his uniform you don't know it's your local bobby you know and that is true where I lived if I would finish work in the studio put my hair down walk down the corridor and the director would be coming past and he didn't say anything 
And I go, oh God, was it that bad? And I'd go, okay, Andy, all right, you know, whatever, whoever it was, Frank. And they go, oh God, sorry, didn't, didn't know that was you. And that's what happened with me in the public for quite a while. Until the character did start getting her own storylines, start getting... They started clocking this thing with Charlie and Duffy. Um, and that start, you know, and, and that sort of gave me a... a, a I, I don't know, and she was progressing in her career. And, um, and then, you know, every now and then you'd be on the front of a magazine or something. So it was a slowish burn for me. I didn't feel I got mobbed. But I still, I still found it very not easy to handle, to be honest. <laughs> no, it is difficult, isn't it? And and it's sort of and also, I suppose there's that thing. You know, I interviewed um, uh, Anna Cartwright and uh, Stephanie Turner, who played the two. Um, well, we always say, <laughs> growing up at that time, everyone thinks they were called. They were actually called Juliet Bravo, and of course they weren't. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> that was the name of the program, but they were yeah. Inspector yeah. Jean Darbley and. And the, and the other one. Um, but they say, you know, that they sort of, again, you mentioned the uniform thing. And I think that came out with them that, I mean, in a way, you know, very few people or there'd be very few depictions up to that point of police women at all on television. No, so, I don't think so, any, really. So, you, you, you know, for, for me, growing up, for me growing up, they were, that was the police women. That's how I saw police women, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I suppose yeah. to an extent, it's the same thing. With um, I know there've been hospital dramas and things before, but if you're seeing if you're in people's lives on a regular basis so much, the depiction of of a nurse or whatever is going to be you, isn't it? It's going to be very, you know. yes, yeah, very much. And it gave me a real. I mean, you know, obviously now people can get you on social media and and people still write to you, but back then it was the post bag, which I think the BBC did try to kind of edit out anything untoward. But some of the letters I got, you know, you you get an insight into people's lives and either their loneliness or or their utter belief in in you as that character. And, you know, try as I might, I, I have n- I've always been able to draw that line and know that that actor who I really like that actor, but I know they're acting or that musician or whatever, you know. Um, yes, it, I mean... To be honest, talking, I mean, I've been out, you know, over the years with with Derek and Derek because he did things like Harry's Game. And um, I I had been in pubs where people would break glasses and come at him. I mean, you know, um, because and the price, you know, that was he was like a terrorist, wasn't he? Um, And he kidnapped Harriet Walter, (laughs) whoever the actress of character was. So he he would get sometimes quite... um, a mixed reception, whereas my character, I generally always got nothing but warmth from people and and a good reception. So, and that's been right through the years, you know. Either people get a bit tongue-tied and they get a bit kind of, they're thrown by meeting you. And then they start, and I kind of think, I'd love to show you how you're being, because they can get a little, they go, you are, aren't you? You are. And I'm going, oh, who's that then? You know, who am I? So. Yeah. You can get a bit, little bit arsy back, you know, but um, generally, um, it hasn't been too bad. Of course, the other thing about any kind of long-running drama or soap or whatever it may be, obviously this is a drama and initially a drama series. You didn't really, you didn't tend to have programs at first, did you? That 
that sort of connected. It was one episode was focusing on one particular story, wasn't it? Yeah. That that came later where you get the connection, wouldn't you? That's much yeah. later, really, wasn't it? Yeah, because, yes. And then what would often happen with, I mean, I, again, this was another thing that Geraint, he wanted each episode to stand on its own. So there'd be like, I think the first one's called Gas, so it's a gas explosion or something. And then there'd be little little seeds laid down in the regulars' lives. But it was, I mean, very subtly done. And that would be, well, those are the long-running lines versus the story of the week. And I remember him saying to me, when you have a show like this, and obviously he'd been connected with a lot of long-running Saturday night drama, he said, obviously, when the guests come in, it feels like they're the stars and they're the, it's all about them and they've got all the lines. And he said, and it's a fine balance to keep the regulars happy. I mean, obviously, someone like Megan and Charlie, um, you know, those, those are heavyweights in the industry and in the business already. So they're going to be served, and Julia um, Watson, they're all going to be served in the storyline. And I, I was just glad to be there. And because to be around those kinds of actors, that was like a masterclass every day, you know, because Brenda changed everything she ever said, you know, she, <laughs> because she said, oh, it's an Englishman said this. Why would I say it like that? And, and Geraint would say, just say it how you'd say it, Brenda, you know. And then he'd say, what about you, Kath? And I go, oh, no, I'll say it just as it is. <laughs> Very good girl. Don't sack me. And then. And they go, yeah, but you're a young, you know, is that how a young person would say it? And I go, well, and I couldn't believe, you know, that they were giving you that kind of um, sanction. And it was all about making it better, not about having more lines. It was just making it more truthful. But, but I suppose the other thing that's important is to, is to create within the cast and within the characters a real chemistry, isn't it? And a, yeah. and a warmth for the viewers, because at the end of the yeah. day... Those of us who are watching long-running drama serials or series or, or soaps or whatever it may be, we need to care about them. We, that warmth you were talking about is yeah. so important, isn't it, between the, between the actual character and the audience, isn't it? Yeah, it's really funny you say that because I, um, I remember in the first sort of um, scenes that I had with Brenda, Brenda Fricker, bearing in mind Brenda's about 10 years older than me in actual years, okay, but Brenda's always played everybody's mum you know and I was look. I was sort of kind of younger hoping I was getting away with younger right so we played this scene Char and Duffy's got some kind of situation going on in her life it's a staff room scene you know a bit more personal and um we got to the end of the rehearsal and I said it's, it's a bit like mum and daughter isn't it and Brenda said what do you mean I'm not that much older than you and she went off in a hump like this she was in a real, you know, sulk. And I, and, and, oh dear, you know, we were all kind of batted against the wall because she, let, and I just, I, I went home, I felt sick. I thought, I have just insulted somebody. That is so not right. We then came in on the Friday, which is when we play, showed all the rehearsal scenes. We did a tech run for the tech guys, the tech department. Then we did a producer's run. And at the end of the producer's run, the feedback was, I like the mother-daughter relationship growing between Brenda and Kath. And she sent me, OK, kid, the buck stops here. And she, she, she didn't give me a card, but the, she gave it to the runner. And the runner brought it over right across the big rehearsal room. And I thought, what's this? And she looked across and went, OK, 
okay, you know, you're all right, I was wrong. <laughs> and that kind of cemented that relationship. I mean, we were friends, obviously, that wasn't our Kath and Brenda relationship, but that's what we developed in, in the show, you know, and Geraint loved it, just like you're saying, it's that warmth. Yeah, it's really important to care about a, a character, isn't it? Um, so when you were just initially, um, obviously, your, as you say, your your character evolved over time and you got more bigger storylines and things like that. And yeah. of course, the, the big thing about casualty is detail is really important when it comes to medical things. Um, and I've spoken to some, some other uh, stars of casualty, more recent stars, who said that, you know, that was a real issue for them in terms of being able to get their head around things. And, and, you know, when did that, when did you realize, or when did you have a first storyline when you had to get to grips with some of that detail of med, of the medical procedures and things? Yes. Um, fortunately playing a nurse, you don't, you're not diagnostic. You're actually serving and you don't have to, you don't have to go in and do a cardiac tamponade or a subdural, you know, relieve a subdural hematoma. Look at it. She sounds like she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> so I was the backup, you know. But um, I remember Derek and I had to go. We went to the the London hospital to do. We all went off to do research. And um, this guy had come in. Oh, my God. And he was effing and blinding. And he was working in a warehouse and a pallet had fallen off a forklift truck and his toe was hanging off. So we're sort of brought in and I was near, I'm hanging onto the sides of the trolley because I am going to faint. Mainly, not because of looking at what this bloke's toe looks like, because the doctors didn't care at all. Talk about safeguarding. <laughs> I mean, back then, what was that, 85, 86? We were just, we went in regularly to hospitals and we were just given a white coat and wandered around with people. I've had people tell me the most extraordinary thing, saying, I don't want to tell the male doctor. Can I tell you? And I'm going, and the doc, he'll say, look, I'll just sit here and take notes. And people have told me things. And then he said, I'll go and get confer with my colleague and, I, and come back and everything. Anyway... Um, so I'm going to collapse. And the thing that really got me was this man's, it was his, it was the voice. It was the pain in his voice. I could look at all the gore and that's never, it was just the emotion that he was expelling. And literally they had to get me out of that cubicle because I was going a funny color and, and, and I was going to add to the, to the drama in the real man's life. Poor, poor man. Um, I loved learning all those things. Peter Salt, who was, um, I think he was at the Royal Infirmary, uh, the Bristol Royal Infirmary, the BRI, which is where Paul and Jeremy did all their research right from the get go. And he was a young Charlie. He was who Charlie was based on. And they followed him and he, he had open door for them about any storylines, any medical terms, any procedures, and, or he'd put them by way. He was absolutely fantastic. And he gave me a lot of storylines, which I fed in over the years. And in fact, I was just watching um, the latest Unforgotten just now. And that's produced by Laura Mackey and Sally Haynes, who were script editors on Casualty. And I remember sitting down with them and discussing Duffy's whole um, she's going to become a sister and she's going to find out she's pregnant and she doesn't want to marry the dad and she's going to do it all on her own. And again, that was from Geraint, open door. If you've got storylines, bring them to us. 
Um, we can always say no. And most of the storylines, um, my storylines, a lot of them, because I talked to Peter Salt. And even though, obviously, he wasn't, he just, I'd say, well, what professionally should she be doing? And what, you know, um, what personally can be happening? Yes. So a lot of those um, storylines, that was our input, you know, over the years. And you had some very tough storylines over the years. I mean, that your very last one was particularly yeah. tough. We'll, we'll talk about that. But, you know, in those first few years, and this, bear in mind, this was a period of time when the world was getting used to HIV and AIDS and whatever. You, were, you had an HIV storyline quite early on, didn't you? Yeah. Involving your character. Just remind us of that. Yeah. Um, uh, what was the name of the act? Uh, it will come back to me. I can't remember. You might need to check. Deacon, that out. Deacon was it? Deacon, it was Deacon. Now what? Yes. Um, yeah. So Duffy is in a relationship. Eric Deacon. Eric Deacon. Eric Deacon. Eric Deacon. With with and the guy the guy he played was um, Peter Tranter. That's it. Uh, yes, and um, he, you know, this is. Obviously, we've seen Duffy in and out of different relationships and successful or not. And this seems to be a successful relationship until he gives her the news that he is it, he is HIV uh, positive. And um, and he has to end, end the relationship with her. I suppose one of the things around that is that I can't remember that she ever followed that up with her own test or her own journey. So I have to say with hand on heart that perhaps that that would have been dealt with differently now, I think. I mean, they were obviously exploring that whole thing um, as a topic, but perhaps, but not as brilliant, as, as in-depth as it could be. Um, and as, you know, old Russell has just done in It's a Sin, but, I mean, obviously that's what that whole period is about. But, um, yeah, so that was... And that was very... It was all very traumatic, filming all of that. I remember it was just... You see, that's what happens. You get these storylines and, you know, you, you just have to inhabit them and you, you have to go into them and, and it can be. Um, and does that, have, yeah, does that have quite an impact on you personally? It does. It does. I remember, I mean, just the, the Duffy going to work and being attacked and it was on a place in Bristol called Christmas Steps. I never went down Christmas Steps ever again. And every time I drove past it, which was virtually every day going to work, it made me feel vulnerable and um, I had an alarm put on my flat and I, I, a lot of these things I didn't even think about but I did things like that after because of the vulnerability that you go through in, in you know and that's what storylines bring up and I remember that whole um, storyline around Eric because that was that sort of came as a bit of a I mean I think they knew where they were going when they brought him in and he was you know but it it, it was yeah, it's difficult, difficult stuff. How important is it, though? Um, this is a little bit of a bugbear f uh, for me in terms of soaps at the moment. I find that, um, and obviously casualty, I know, is very different because it's focused on medical and it has to be correct and all the rest of it. What I find a little bit with some of the soaps, it annoys me where they shoehorning in issues all the time. Um, and it, it sort of just gets a bit, you know, you just think, just give it a rest. I want some character here. I don't want to be constantly being lectured at with you know, wagging <laughs> wagging finger kind of thing. How important is it? Yeah, you've got these this detail and it's important to get the detail right and not to say that, you know, people would be treated this way or that way. But this is actually how people would be treated in the NHS because you're very reflective of what's going mm. on day to day basis. But how important is it to to maintain 
you know, Duffy or Charlie's character within that. Do you know what I mean? Do you know where I'm coming from? How important oh, is it to keep that there, you know? And I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not, obviously I've been allied with the show over the years, a long time. And I would, and to an extent, I have attempted to keep that at bay to a certain extent and to try and hang on to the character side of everything. I mean, you can only do what, you know, what comes, what comes through the letterbox in the whore onto your um, iPad as a script. Um, I agree with you that there is an, um, an element of box ticking around, uh, in, well, it's to do with, it, yes, it's are you serving the story or what masters are you serving or is it to do with justifying your budgets, you know, um, how, yeah, and what what slot you are. Because obviously if you're a four-part drama, you can do something very different in a four-part drama. If you're a, what they now call continuing drama, I think, I actually think the audience would be quite happy to dial down a lot of the issue-based stuff and perhaps explore it slightly more, with more depth, to be honest. And I remember even in the early, well, no, not the early days, because we only used to do 12 episodes, but once it got to like 20 episodes, that felt like masses when we were doing that many, let alone the double of that they do now. We used to say, can you do a quiet night? Because I've been in and I've followed, I've gone in because I wanted to, part of my observation around the character, and nothing ever happens. And you just drink coffee and play darts and do each other's tarot or something and um, have a pedicure, not yet, you know, or talk about pedicures. And we were begging for a quiet night. The quietest night they ever gave us was with when Brenda Fricker's character, Megan, I think she had um, a a procedure, which is probably a lumpectomy. And she ended up in bed and all the regulars sort of went up. She was like the mother confessor. And they all went up and and sort of, they either bitched about the other ones, or am I allowed to say that? They either gossiped about the other ones, or they, they sort of showed a bit of something they were going through. But I think, oh, I think the audience would love a quiet night and see them playing ping pong and... I don't know. And a bit of comedy occasionally as well. A tiny bit of comedy here and there. Yeah. Which I think, which yeah. I think you got every now and again in Casualty. I yeah. Think it was a bit... Yeah. And I think, I mean, Derek was a great one for that. He was a great one for, for just trying to shake it up and, and not, not, not being too serious. But if you could, because in real hospitals and anybody you've ever, I mean, there's a lot of black humour. And yes, you can do it on things like Green Wing and Scrubs and that's out and out black humour. But I, I, you know, I mean, some of the things I know... Um, you know, in code that doctors say to each other, and you know, and you kind of think, "Oh my lord, what was what was the mistake someone made once?" There was, um, oh yes, there's DOA, which is dead on arrival, and DIB, which is difficulty in breathing, and apparently the tags on the toes or something got wrong because everything used to be written down, and someone came in that they thought was dead, and of course he's like he's. Br- the blank, the sheet starts breathing. And, well, and... It, it, it happens, it still happens today. I've literally just this morning been for an ultra scan on my, supposedly on my stomach. I arrived and uh, they were proceeding down the route of, it was going to be uh, an ultrasound on my private parts. Oh, And I was like, no, 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 it's definitely stomach. 
Uh, no, no, it, your doctor said it's definitely, you know, I, I, I had to get, pre, you know, and I looked at the screen and I said, just look at the screen again, will you, please? Um, you're looking at Thomas Thomas's notes, not Ashley's notes. Oh, no. Oh, 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 it's like, it was like an episode of, I don't know if you remember, there's an episode of One Foot in the Grave where Victor ends up on a hospital bed somewhere and uh, some disillusion, delusional um, person coming coming from outside dressed as a nurse and starts shaving him down below to operate or whatever and he's like oh my god what's going on that's what it felt like I just thought to myself you couldn't make it up could you but these things happen don't they you know uh, yeah they do well we are all human and yeah. I, I think you know one of the things that they do that's why you know Geraint's watchword was we can't put anybody we can't put anybody off coming in to a hospital but that didn't mean they didn't explore they would bring in characters on a shorter run who either had a drink problem or was i think they had a, a young nurse um who was nicking drugs and things like that or using or whatever and they would you they wouldn't shy away from the storyline but they wouldn't have it among their regulars um as such yeah yeah I heard your dog there. I think it was your dog. Yeah, it? he woke up and had a shake. <laughs> um, but you were you were saying earlier. I did learn a lot of procedures, and I learned to stitch, um, which and I, all of that back and forth, and that was great. And I loved doing all of that. And I, I mean, you know, even the last time I sort of went back in twenty fifteen or whatever, and it was it, it freaked everybody out because most of the, Derek was the only person I knew there really. Oh, and of course they bought in um, Ian Bleasdale for a bit. And um, I didn't know any of the cast and they all knew each other because they'd all been working for each other. And I sort of come in and I had to do this big sort of rescue, um, picking up a lad who'd got stabbed, a gang stabbing in the car park, get him on a trolley. She's having a phone call home to New Zealand or something. And then she sees it. So she, she gets a trolley, she gets somebody to come and help her and she's doing compressions. And then right from the car park, right through to recess, picking up people on the way, um, doctors, giving the spiel, the handover spiel or whatever, climbing up on the trolley, doing all of this. And of course, the minute we start rehearsing it, I hadn't done that for like nine years. I did it like that. It was the ghost walking. And all the other members of the cast were sort of looking at like, who is this person? Where have they come from? And and it was it was it was very weird. And of course it was Paul Unwin had written that. That was a, a big episode that Paul Unwin had written. I think that was the thirtieth, not the thirtieth, I'm not sure. But it was I it was the two when Charlie nearly had the heart attack and all of that. And um Paul Unwin had written them and directed it. So, of course, Paul was just, oh, Kath, can you do this? And Kath, can you do that? And can you climb up? Actually, can you get on top so that we're whizzing you down the tr- down the thing and you're astride doing all of this? And I went, oh, all right. I've had a hip replacement, but we'll have a go, you know. <laughs> and, of course, it all happens. And, I mean, my Lord. And everyone's looking, thinking, it took me weeks to learn how to do that. And Muggins here. So it's a bit scary, you know, what's in there, the old tacit learning. Now, for many years, it was filmed in, in Bristol. On an industrial estate next to Manda's oh. Paint Factory and opposite Parcel Force. Oh, right. OK, OK. Yeah, <laughs> salubrious. <laughs> they, um, um, uh, the glamour, the glamour. <laughs> they, they obviously moved it eventually, bizarrely, I don't know why, but they moved it to, to Cardiff. What was the relationship like? Was there a relationship between uh, the Bristolians and Casualty? Because you always hear that... You know, Crossroads and Birmingham had a big relationship. And... Well, of course. I mean, it brought... Uh, one of the reasons... You see, 
It did the first year filming in Bristol because the first credits were Charlie in his little yellow car going over the suspension bridge. Now, there's only one of those in the world. So unless they put one in America because somebody bought it. So it can only be Bristol. Um, but it wanted to be urban. Um, and then we'd come back to London and the guy who designed the set called David Hitchcock, he said, because it was being put up and struck every 10 days or so. And he said, this set will not last that's why they moved it to what was a permanent set in Bristol, um, St. Philip's Trading Estate, uh, with one toilet for all the men in the building and one toilet for all the women. Can you believe? And then one changing room for all the men and one for all the women. I am not joking. I am not joking until we got a Eamon Boland became our equity rep and we st- and then I got everybody dressing rooms I did an episode of the bill and everybody had a dressing room and I thought right we're getting these and they bought another warehouse next door and put porter cabins in there but um, the relationship with Bristol was just fantastic and it, of course it brought a lot of business because all the guest artists were put up in hotels um, streamlined cabs must have you know gone platinum and I mean people used to joke and say if you want to know if you're in the next series just ask a Bristolian cabbie you know um, lovely people in 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 Bristol you know it's a soul home I'm very very happy in Bristol Brenda Fricker got her Oscar I picked her up from Heathrow because she said Kath can you pick me up and drive me back to Bristol because I don't think I'll be <laughs> capable of driving so she left her car at Heathrow and I brought her back to Bristol and then um, about uh, two days later, shop rang me up and said, Brenda's left her Oscar in the shop. Do you want it? Shall we keep it here? It's in an American classics pink bag. <laughs> and that, you know, and I mean, we, yeah, they're very cool, the people in Bristol. It's like New York. They don't bat an eyelid. And quite a few of the cast over the years ended up settling in that area. Didn't very, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Derek, for sure. Derek's down there. Brenda bought down there. Lots of people have brought, bought down there. I'm a, a Londoner, so I still hankered sort of for this end. But love, you know, it's just, yeah, loved it there. And, and the moving to Cardiff, again, it's also because of the BBC Charter thing of, it's like Media City now being in Manchester you know it can't be London centric it can't be and and you do have to move it about and in fact having gone back to the show most recently my last um, visit it was absolutely brilliant being in a purpose-built studio because you used to have to do all the exterior shots all sorts of all over the place and the shots that you can achieve, like that one I've just described of picking someone up in the car park, going all the way through, right through reception, down the corridor, into recess. Um, and that, yeah, it's just wonderful to be able to have those options in terms of storytelling. Well, I went down there because um, it's, it's on the... It's, it's on the river, isn't it? Where they where they have it. It's um. It's a, it's on the dock. It's Cardiff Bay. The I went down there. I've got a friend of mine who's in Pobble You Come, the Welsh soap, oh, and yeah. uh, I went down there for a visit for something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was meeting him at the same time, and um, I was in there in the building, and there was loads of people in medical uniforms. <laughs> yeah, because it's and all. Biz- yeah. And bizarrely, I'd not clocked that, that casualty had moved. This is a few years ago. Not clocked yeah. that casualty had moved. So I thought there was some there was some disaster or something horrible had happened. Oh, and, something and for it, real. It took a while for me to twig that it was. That's where it happened. Yeah. 
as well as amazing interviews just like the one you're listening to now, the Distinct Nostalgia podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz. Oh, I've never heard of it. Where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo is all I can remember that. Yeah, well, that yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. A brand new season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner cell block. Cell block B. Prisoner cell block H. Simply pick your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com or by messaging us on Twitter. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Kyber. Um, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> they're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz. Got there in the <laughs> Coming this autumn. Oh, it's amazing. They always are. <laughs> so, um, obviously, uh, Duffy, great character. She's, you know, you've been backwards and forwards, but overall, quite a number of those thirty-five years or whatever it is, Duffy has been part of part of Casualty, and that romance that was conjured between you and. Um, Charlie, between Duffy and Charlie, um, is a sort of part of that sort of storyline, and everyone think, when we thinks of casualty, think of romances, they'll think of that. What was it? What? Just tell us a bit about that in terms of your, you know, both the the the, the actual fictional romance itself, but also you and 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 Derek actually being able to do that. What? Tell us a bit about yeah. the the impact of that on you. Was it? I mean, you'd got to know him over many years, but yes, you know, of course. Tell us about that. Well. Like I said, that very first day you turn up and there's, you know, a very well-known actor from TV and film. And, however, Derek is, he's very self-effacing. And he, that's again why I think the show has lasted as long as it has, because he's a true Democrat. And he, I've been in scenes with him and, you know, he can sense that a young actor is struggling or a bit nervous. And when they say, right, running up, we're going to shoot next, he'll just say, oh, 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 can I just, and can we just do that again? You know, he'll ask for more rehearsal. There's a sensitivity. And and if someone gives him a better way of reading a line or tries to make, he is really, really generous in terms of how he is as part of a team. So I felt very peripheral in terms of the cast when I joined the show. Then there was that, sort of changeover episode, uh, episode 11 or 12, uh, towards the end of the first series where Duffy was attacked. And then I think one of the things that a director said to me once, he said, when you're in a scene and you haven't got any lines and you're just standing there waiting with a kidney ball and the doctor's going to say, can we do this and this and this? And you just stand there and nod. He said, you also do something else because I think this is like being on stage training. I considered when I was in a scene, it was like you're on stage, you're always being looked at. So you never clock off, even if the camera's not on you, you don't clock off. But directors started to see that. So often they would use, even though I had no, someone said to me, you had a lot of lines this week. And I was, I didn't have a lot of lines, but the 
the director chose to end scenes on my reaction to, I think the doctor's been a bit arsy with that patient or that patient hasn't told us everything. So that started to develop. Then what started to develop, because there was a cheeky side to Duffy, um, I think, and this happened with the Charlie and the Megan characters, that although they were her supposedly elders, she'd stand her ground. And so, again, I suppose it's like life mirroring art and art and life. There would be moments where, because Duffy was on a, she wanted to um, become a sister. She wanted to, this was a career path. And she wanted to do that. And there'd be moments where she was kind of challenging the Charlie character. And what I found about working those scenes with Derek, and I think it might be our Irish background, people are very scared of him. He, he's, he's, he does have a bark and he has a bite, but only when pushed. But he has a kind of way that people are a bit, woo, you know, I never had that with him and I and I cheeked him from the off and I just I just was me with and I think he liked that he liked that I wasn't precious with him or I didn't make him rarefied I just because I felt he wanted to be one of the gang so I thought well, I'm going to treat you like one of the gang I don't think I even thought about it I reacted to how he was being and I and I and we Yes, I think the whole way they sort of uh, had that romance thing develop, which in a way, the public and the writers saw it before either of us because of the way we started playing scenes. And that was Kath being cheeky with Derek and not taking him too seriously and Duffy being a bit cheeky with, with Charlie. So they, they sort of mirrored each other. And sometimes, you know, if Duffy, if Charlie was going off on one, no, if Derek was going off on one, I'd get a call <laughs> because I'd tell it like it is or I'd just go, oh, shut up. I'd use a few more <laughs> riper language. But he doesn't, he never worry, he never, and Brenda the same. And I can tell you, I mean, the whole business has changed a lot, but it was quite, I mean, people enjoyed themselves after work. <laughs> No, there was a lot of drinking. It was drink mainly then, but there was a lot of drinking at lunchtime. I mean, not the cast that I was aware of, but that that was the culture. Everybody went down the pub. I'd go down the pub to go with everyone and I'd have an orange juice because I was a wuss. But, you know, people, it's, it's so not like that now. But, you know, I mean, it was just, and there were some quite, there were some heavyweights on that show, you know, and and they never worried me. You know, their personalities, you know, or if people were having difficulties or if they were just really, I don't know, just having a bad day, whatever, whatever. Or just feeling like, I mean, I remember Brenda could sometimes, she'd say, come on, let's have a fight. And I'd say, what? She goes, it's getting boring in here. Let's have a fight. You and me. I said, it's not script. No, she goes, you and me. Let's wake them all up. You and me will have a fight. And I went, Brenda, I can't. She goes, come on, come on. She'd needle me till it got to a fight because I'm saying I don't want to have a fight, and she's going, "Why do you?" And, and everyone's going, "Catherine, Catherine, Brenda, what's going on with Catherine, Brenda?" And she goes, "That's better." She goes, "Get a little bit of zip in the day." <laughs> you know, that's what you're dealing with, and and that was Derek. You know, and Bob Pugh. Bob Pugh would be out on his boat. You know, does he know he's meant to be here? He's on his boat. <laughs> I mean. 
it was just great, great larks in those days. There was quite a lot of misbehaviour, but also quite a, a lot of work done. Now, you, you, um, you came and went a bit. You were there for quite yeah. a long period of time right at the beginning. Then you went and came back again for a bit, you know, reasonable period yeah. of time. And then, so on and off, you, you know, you, you've been there. But, you know, after Charlie, I would say you were the most, you know, the one that people would remember, actually, in a way, yeah. if you were thinking about casualty. What, um, why did you come and go? What was your reason for that at the time? Well, I suppose, I mean, I, my first stint was like eight years. And I, and I mean, in a way, talking to people who'd come and go much sooner, they'd come in and play a doctor for, say, two or three, and they go, oh, no, 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 you can't get stuck. And I suppose, you know, I, it was a big learning ground for me. And um, you just want to flex your acting muscles and go off and do other stuff. And it's unequivocal that I am associated with that character. Whether you call it typecasting, I mean... I suppose the, the, the typecasting is quite broad, but um, occasionally I get pulled in as a villain, which is quite nice, you know. But generally, the kind of people that I'm going to end up playing are going to be kind of versions of that. But I, I didn't know that at that stage. So you just I just wanted to get out, do some stage work, you know, and just live some life. I'm a, I'm a bit of a believer that in order to sort of go and do the game we do, you can't just go from job to job to job because you end up really playing versions of makeup artists and boom operators or caterers because you're not out there in a queue in Tesco's or, um, you know, trying to pay your water bill or whatever. Um, so, you know, I don't, yeah, I mean... It, it's just sort of... Yeah, it's important, like, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm the same in what I do, you know, because a lot of what my work is constantly making programmes, documentaries, drama, whatever it may be. Lots of hours these days, sadly, on blooming computers, which really yeah. irritates me. And you just have to... You pinch yourself sometimes and think, I've got to live. I've got to actually live to yeah. be able to reflect all these things that I'm trying to portray. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, crazy, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's like an arrow. I think you've got to go back to go forward. And, and that's, you know, fertile void, all these kind of hippy-dippy phrases. But I, I think these things are necessary. Um, yeah, and it can be, obviously, when you're self-employed. It's nail-biting, too, you know, and, uh, and yeah. So, so, it's, so it's typecast you a little bit in certain areas, but... Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, undoubtedly, you know, and in a way, I, I mean, it's just hilarious. You go to drama school and you do all these Ibsens and Greek tragedies and Shakespeare's and um, and I think I did two modern pieces at drama school. And then, of course, I end up being in populist TV drama, which, I mean, Geraint, again, I mean, I, he was like my mentor because he... I felt he got me from just a chat and he gave me a break. And it's like perhaps, you know, that teacher I saw the other day that um, he, he coached Raheem Sterling. You know, Raheem will never forget that um, guy. I will never forget Geraint, you know. And a lot of these guys won't forget Southgate or whatever. But so that's where Geraint is for me. And he said, when I saw you sort of how you were through that first series... He said, when I cast actors, there are actors that I know I'll have for two years, perhaps, and they'll get antsy or they'll get, or they, they can't keep it fresh. And there are actors that are series actors and you're a series actor. Because, however, even if you have to say, 
would you follow me? I'll see if the doctor's ready. You'll still manage to do that authentically, even if you've said it 15 times. And other people will just either get really paranoid. Oh, my God, I said it like that last week. Or they'll get at themselves or they'll just go, oh, I'm bored. I've got to go. I've got low threshold of boredom, perhaps. But or you're just interested. This is what I feel about learn from Derek in a way that you, you're interested in the job that day. And you are in the job that day, you know. And uh, so, yes, I've come and gone over the years. And um, for example, when I went back, I, I, they brought me back um, Erica Hossington, whom I think I haven't been there all the years, um, like Derek. But Erica, when I met her, and she's Welsh, and she brought me back for those two episodes when Charlie, it was at the Sunetra, Zoe, Max marriage. And they all end up in the water and Charlie has the heart attack and all of that. And Paul Unwin had written them and they brought me back just for two. Um, it was a series ending, I think. And part of me thought, oh, you know, yes, of course, that's just a guest thing with that character to go bang in series, those two episodes. Of course, you can't think at the back of your mind, you think if you bring a character like this back, Perhaps they're sort of looking to see, will, there, will it have legs? Well, do you know, the night it went out, there was this lovely woman called, um, who just, she set up a sort of fan page, an official fan page. Because I, I hadn't been in the business really for eight or nine years. I mean, I'd done stage stuff, but nothing on screen. And as the episodes went out, it was hitting like 50,000 likes and things. And I just remember, I didn't cry, but I was really, I've never seen the like on Facebook, I think she said something like, should we bring Duffy back? And everyone was just going like this. It went, it went mad. And it, it was very leveling to think I've not been in that show for so many years. But that character from the inception of Paul and Jeremy and Geraint, she's still in people's minds somehow, you know, and, uh, I was in Liverpool just last week filming and this woman came up to me. I think she did. It was her wedding anniversary and she was 40. She, yes, she was 40. And she just said, you've made my year. And she was very effusive. And she said, I've grown up with you. Because she would have been about seven when it started or something. And she'd sit with her mum and watch. And then she'd just grow and she was taking pictures and she was crying. She says, I don't care about any of the others. It's And I was looking like this. And, she, and you know, and you... You kind of think, oh my gosh, you, they don't teach you that bit at drama school. Whoever you, know? you, whoever you grew up with as a kid, you know, it stays in your mind, doesn't it? You know, they the, they shape your feelings and thoughts for the rest of your life in a way. As 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 the program changed, of course, they decided to bring in other things, and obviously the the the, the sets changed. You say the the styles mm -hmm. of of the actual, you know, it got quicker, didn't it? In a way, it got yeah. quicker in terms of filming. And then, of course, they brought um, a, a sequel, as it were, with Holby City. Yeah. Um, what, I mean, we talk a bit about where that's ended up now, but obviously 20-odd years, Holby City's been there. What did the cast feel about that when it first was first mooted that you were going to get a separate programme? Was that seen as quite a good thing? Or were, were yes, I don't, I, I think it was a midweek thing. I think it was seen as only good. I mean, I think people got up in arms because they, I think... There was talk of us doing both for the same fees. <laughs> Everybody got a bit, and, um, a bit cross about that. So that all got a bit uh, political. And, um, and they didn't manage it terribly it, it, because it was assumed, you know. But 
I think it was actually only, it was so different in its style. And because, you know, life on a ward is very different from bash through the doors. And in fact, the first, the, the, um, the working title for casualty was frontline because and which is like a war zone thing frontline because that's what they're dealing with you never know what's coming through those doors and so the 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 speed of it and um the unknowingness and the jeopardy that's what casualty has casualty has jeopardy and holby it would have jeopardy within an operation perhaps but that operation could last nearly a whole episode or something and then you have to see how it plays out in somebody's life so it had a very different rhythm. And I don't think anybody ever felt it. Um, it's like um, it's a compliment to casualty as opposed to, you know, a threat. And you appeared in Holby City. I did. There was. Um, yeah, I didn't cross picket lines or anything because <laughs> everyone was going. They were saying, who'll do it? And I, I, I didn't find it. Perhaps I'm, I should be more of a breadhead. I didn't find it too much of a problem, you see. And I think I was off that week because some people go, oh, I'm not coming up from Bristol. And I said, well, I live in London. What is it? You know, I only did it an episode where Clive Mantle, who played whatever his character's name was, Dr. Mike something. He was going into Holby as a regular and they wanted a face from Casualty that he knew so that on his first day when he's nervous because he's having to be the newbie in the in the department, he could go, oh, God, it's so nice to see a, a face I know and he can we can have a chat. But it was funny because when I went up to do the filming on um, that Holby, and that was at Elstree, it was quite early on in their, um, I think they brought Mike across or Clive across because he was a popular character and it was a way of linking the two. And um, they were doing some kind of, oh, a scene where suddenly there was a lot of blood and doctors, were the acting doctors, the actors we're just piling in without gloves. I mean, we are such nerds on casualty. In the, the, we know about the protocols and everything. And I'm stood there and they had a nurse advisor who was just chatting and having a coffee. And I'm going, we can't do it like that. They're using the stethoscope the wrong way round. And I'm going, do I say anything or will I look like, who does she think she is? And I think Clive was in the scene. And because he plays a doctor, you see, you get hierarchies. I thought as a doctor, he could actually say, gloves up, everybody, or gloves up, you know, got a pair of gloves there. Is it all right if I put that line in or something, you know? Or, or tapping stethoscope. Doctors never tap stethoscopes because they know how they work. <laughs> but it was, I remember just sort of coming away thinking, oh dear, they're going to have to lift their game. <laughs> so there was a bit of competition there. Well, of course, and it lasted 21 years. Yeah, and that was a big shock, I think, the news that's just yeah, come out. Yeah, the BBC have decided to get rid of it because they want to bring in some more soaps from different parts of the country, apparently. I think there might end up being a Northern Ireland one and another Northern one or whatever. Um, but it does seem a shame, doesn't it? Because it's got a very loyal audience. That yeah. I know viewing figures are less than they used to be, but they're still big in, in the scale yeah. of things. These audiences of three and four million or whatever is still pretty big. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Do you think they should have? I mean, obviously things do come to an end, but you know, do you think they should have held out for it? And, and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, um, I it's probably I I, I don't know because I I don't even though the shows are allied, I've not they're very separate. 
And I know people who say, I only watch Holby. I've never seen Casualty, but you're in Casualty, aren't you? My sister adores Holby and she she doesn't, she finds Casualty, it's too much blood and gore. It's not entertainment, whereas she loves Holby, you see. And she might look at um, Casualty um, if I'm in it, you know, but it's not her cup of tea. And she'd probably be out on a Saturday, whereas my, she loves Holby. Um, I think it's fallen foul of what's, gone on this year in terms of pandemic and all sorts of things I don't know I I don't know it's also um, possibly what you've just said about bringing in other forms of drama from other parts of the you know it's that is to do with perhaps charter and um, I mean perhaps it's a shame that there aren't there isn't room for both because you know Holby is an hour casualty still an hour um, whether they're bringing in something that's an hour, you know, it still hangs on to that format, which is slightly different from the half hour turnover. And I suppose in the acting profession as well, you know, Casualty, Holby City, Doctors, The Bill, as it was, have been dramas in which actors can come and go, guest appearances, yeah. you can try people out, all that kind of thing. They've, they, they're in a way, they've sort of been, they've given, they've provided an income for lots of, you know, because act, acting, acting, as you know, is, is precarious, isn't it? And, yes, and, yes, and... yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you look down at an actor of a certain age, you know, and, and everybody's got those shows on, on their CV. And it's also, you know, it's the nature of TV is that you, you have to do it to do it. You know, you can, you can do Shakespeare's sonnets and, and monologues and soliloquies in your room and or you can do it you know you can just get up in a pub and do stuff but you, you every day is a school day on a on a set you know and and it's keeping those muscles going and all those shows were brilliant training ground for everybody for writers producers directors I mean you know the team behind <laughs> I, I mean we've got shots at the end of like a series of casualty and there'll be a crane shot and like the front row like you know 15 actors and then you've got 250 people behind them um and it's you know and that's that's also who has been affected by pulling holby do you want a cup of tea i'll have half a cup and that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy and thinking that that's going to be OK. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband. And as a new version of the story comes back to the stage in Birmingham, why not remind yourself of the movie classic with Distinct Nostalgia's special trilogy of star interviews. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him. And I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. 
it's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel, and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. What, what's the relationship been like over the years then between the main cast and the guests that come in and go? You know, is, is any any that stand out, any ones that you remember in particular? Blimey. I mean, yeah, oh, God. It, it's just, I suppose, I mean, there's, you know, you can you can throw out all the names because there have been some spectacular names of people that have come and gone on that show. I think one of the... the the best thing about that show, whether someone comes in as a name or whether they're not, is um, the show has always attracted quality. It's always attracted good. Well, it starts with good writing. And then I can't I, I really can't think of any scenes that I have ever been involved in where I've gone. Oh, hang on. Mm, I'm really worried about this scene. You know, right. Never. I can any, I mean, I have, you know, I have not been around as long as, you know, Derek has, but I really cannot think about that. And now it's much more stringent because everybody gets screen tested. Oh, my God, the hoops, they all have to jump through. I mean, it was much, well, it was much more instinctive before. And I, you know, I sat on a table and <laughs> talked about my bandaged ankle with a Liverpudlian nurse and got the job, which I quite like that. Thing, that's a gut instinct. Um, people I can remember that are working with, I mean, um, I remember working, well, this is a name, isn't it? Kate Winslet came in when she was 17 and um, just fantastic. And, you know, and this young, very um, unprepossessing young actor, she was just playing a babysitter, but she was having doubts as to whether the child that she was babysitting might be being abused. And um, and then she confided that to the, to this character, and and they, I took it ser- she took it, Duffy took it, takes it seriously, and then confronts um, the whole. It, it really happened, you know. It, she, the girl's instincts were right, and she was fantastic around that. Very um, just steady and just a, a through and through a professional and, and quite humble and really knew her craft, you know. A scene that was quite, um, had a lot to do with my character early on, um, after the char- my character, Duffy, was uh, attacked, I think in the next series, this lovely actress came in and um, she had all these sort of great, there was something about her and Duffy, and this was part of the Duffy storyline and Duffy's hackles raise and she thinks, the girl says she just... Um, been knocked off her bike or something and then Duffy's going hang on I'm not sure about this there's something else well the girl had been um uh, abused sexually raped she'd been sexually attacked and the actress was Minnie Driver yeah and she was fantastic in in you know and Duff and it was partly to show Duffy's sort of um, men healing in that she wouldn't let the girl go and she was just Oh, I'll just, um, I'll see, the doctor's not quite ready. So she wasn't letting the girl um, discharge herself. And then just started asking a few questions. And then 
got her into like what they call the rallies room or a quiet room and then just laid before her what her options were you know going to the police or reporting this or whatever and it's because Duffy knew she hadn't done that for herself and it was just passing it on to that young person and also out to the great I mean I've had the letters I get from women I got a letter last year from a woman and she said this is the last I've written to you over the years this is the last I'm you're going to hear from me and it was a handmade card and she successfully prosecuted her rapist and had a, a successful outcome and she said the strength of Duffy through these years has helped me I mean you don't go to drama school to to have that outcome and and it's just I've got that let I've got that card I will never not have that card because you know um it's amazing isn't it that you that the impact that television has really yeah and and a show like I mean that's why the show has to get so much of its information right someone told me their little child was climbing up and they'd seen an episode of casualty where the child got caught in the venetian blind and she she got the child down and then hooked it up. And she said it's because of what had happened with one. They Everybody thought it was someone on the ladder outside. And it was actually going to be the toddler. You know, it was the sleight of hand. Yeah, no, the no. toddler and the Venetian blind pull. So Duffy is no more, is she? She's, no. she's not in the programme anymore. So you couldn't, you couldn't go back um, now unless they brought you from the dead. And I don't think we're going to do a Patrick Duffy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there, there was... Well, I don't, I'm not, this isn't um, any kind of um, scoop. There was talk, but it hasn't happened. But there was talk of appearing to Charlie because Charlie talked to her. And when he was in difficult times. And I think that might have happened if COVID hadn't happened. And I was sort of going, oh, hang on. Because I kind of thought when that final story. I'm not keen, I'm not keen on those kind of things. Are you? No, 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 no. And no, that's hanging on. That's the nails, isn't it? Um, I, I, I kind of, yeah. Duffy came back. It was third time, and it was that last storyline played out very much in connection, in conjunction with talking to the researchers. Um, it was very respectful how it played out over time. I was happy with the time scale of how it played out. And it was about and dementia, I, and, wasn't it? It was dementia, basically. Yes. Yeah. And um, and that is a complete full stop. And that's how it has, you know, and I also know that storyline and all of that has had uh, a huge impact um, on people. And uh, again, I think, you know, the thing when you, you ask about the show, if you're, I don't, you, you probably know what Lord Reith says that the BBC remit is to educate, illuminate and entertain. And actually... Uh, that's what casualty does. It says does what it says on the lid. It completely does that. And just as a human being on the planet, that's my biggest sort of cl- sense of pride I have. That I know that show has. I know there are doctors and nurses because of that show. I've met them. Um, so that is the impact of drama. I also know, you know, it it poses scruples, and people sit in their sitting room saying, "Well, what would you do?" Or, oh, God, perhaps I should ring my mum and tell her X, Y, Z, you know, or, and that's... It's never one dimensional, is it? It, It's sort of, you know... It's a rubric, isn't it? Yeah, there might be a bad character, but you will see a good side to that character as well. And if there might be a good character, but you'll see an awkward or bad side to them as well. That's it. And again, that goes right back to the template that we are all flawed human beings. 
and that when you come to work and you put the white coat on or the badge or the uniform, you have to hide that. And sometimes, depending on the pressure, little fissures will come out, you know. So in terms of the dementia storyline then, obviously lots of people are connected to this story in different ways themselves in life, you know, Alzheimer's disease. We know, everyone knows somebody who's who's linked to this issue. Um, Did you draw at all from any of your own experiences of life on this one? Um, not really. I mean, my mum, my mum got to her 90s and, and she was a little bit, what well, you see, when I was growing up, we used to say, oh, someone's gone a bit gaga or someone's a little bit kind and and it, nobody kind of medicated it or uh, medicalized it or gave it names or gave it stigma. It was just a kind of thing that people had senior moments in a way. And it was also, I don't think everybody was meant to be sort of firing on all cylinders and having these careers and lives and jobs and things. So I I suppose I do remember people being just a bit kind of not quite there. Um, but actually, um, now what... Uh, because I know that the researchers and two people that were uh, script editing had a lot of personal contact with the storyline, and I decided in the old John Hurt way to um, to kind of go with what was being written and use my imagination, to be honest, which perhaps doesn't sound as method as it should be, but it was so well-researched and... Uh, yeah, so that was that was where it was at, really. Were you sad to say goodbye to Duffy? Well, of course, when the storyline was mooted as an idea, um, I, that was way before the public got hold of it. Um, and then I just thought, no, this is this is the show that you're in. This is a medical drama. I mean, and they said, we, you know, this is such a topical storyline, and there's only a few that we can go down. And it was me or Charlie, really, I suppose, unless they went for someone much younger. Um, and, yeah, that was fine. And, and then, of course, by the time you're sort of used to it, um, then you get everyone else on the set would all be, you know, gnashing of teeth and all of this. And I remember once, right, halfway through the storyline, I went to the NTAs, which is the National Television Awards Ceremony, and they're a big old bun fight in the O2 and there's all these people, these sort of uh, meet and greet people, and they all the, they get you round to where you're meant to be. And I came in and I saw someone I knew. So it was actually David Dimbleby. And I was stood chatting to David Dimbleby and all the casualty lot I'd come in with had all gone walking off to the bar. So I'm stood. He's gone off and said, oh, nice to see you, Kath. Off he went. I'm stood and I'm looking like this. And someone came up and said, are you all right, Kath? And <laughs> Because I, I was stood in this huge thronging room trying to zone in on my group. And I said, that's all right. That's on the set. That's okay. I'm all right. I'm fine. Thank you. You know, and all of that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, the thing is, I suppose they needed to have a character again. If you're going to show something over a long period of time, something like mm. that dementia, you need it again. You need a character that the audience cares about, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, no, there has to be investment. There has to be investment because there was an idea of it bringing it in like, um, well, I suppose what they've done in Unforgotten, that's her dad, isn't it? 
um, with the um, Carrie Cassie Stewart. I never watched Unforgotten with Nicola Walker, and I've only start. I've only just got into it. And her dad, played by Peter Egan, that's been his storyline. I think because Duffy didn't have her mother had died, there wasn't anyone that they could bring it, and it had to be bang in. They wanted it right in the middle of the heart. Also, they wanted her to work for as long as she could work to show. Um, in the way that I think, what's her name? Vicky McClure did a whole series of people and they did the dementia. Wasn't there a dementia restaurant or something? And they had a calf where people um, were do- working. And so it, it was um, demonstrating that you're, you know, you're not put out. You don't have to be put out to grass. One of the big things about casualty, as well as uh, actors like yourself and, and um uh, Derek uh, being there for so long and on and off, etc., um, is of course that iconic theme tune, which has oh, been with the show since the very beginning. Very beginning. Yeah, it annoys me now because the people who do the the continuity announcers talk over it at the end, which I find really irritating. It's such an iconic theme that you want to hear yeah. it, don't you? Well, is that does that haunt you? That theme? <laughs> it doesn't haunt me. No, only with in good ways. And I used to like it when they did a really sad episode. You know how they make it go slow and really, really sort of thoughtful. And they do they do it in other shows. But I remember when they did that. Um, the first time they did that on a really sad ending or a, or the death of a character, like um, one of the, that Doctor who died as a bit of a hero, Ian T- Ian Kelsey character. And I think they just faded it out. Oh no, that music! And everyone goes, and it's. But the funniest thing I remember once, um, Geraint brought in in the first year, two very sort of worthy musicians, husband and wife. I think they're from Wales. Had set lyrics to it, and it was called "Blue Light, Blue Light Shining," and they sang it over the tape, and then they, no. He just played it to us like in the green room and it was and and we just oh my god we were rolling about I'm going, oh no 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 and he's going yeah but look because this is early days and he said uh it's a hit if people are writing lyrics to this you know something something works of course eastenders had uh, anyone can fall in love of course but anita dobson didn't it which became a huge hit yeah 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 and then that's got the do 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 as it's got the syndrome start everybody it's like jaws isn't it everybody knows that you know and, and of course in recent years there's even been a dance version of the theme hasn't there oh i wouldn't be surprised i tell you what was fantastic when we did the um the 30th episode and they screened it um, in Cardiff. Uh, in the, it was in the Millennium Hall and they had a live orchestra. And that was the minute they tuned up. And I just was like goosebumps. It was brilliant. It was really good. They have, I don't know if they still do it because they talked about putting music through the episode. Um, and they started doing that a bit, and then I think they phased it out again. I mean, they're doing lots of strange things with it at the moment. There's slightly different lighting and the way it's filmed, and I do worry about these changes that they're making, not just to, uh, you know, casualty, but also to the soaps generally at the moment. Lots of surreal cut scenes and things like that. Doesn't I don't really warm to that. Oh, there was that weird one with Colin Baker. He Yeah, they brought in... That, I wasn't part of the series then, but Derek told me Colin Baker talked to an extraterrestrial or something and it was all green and... Yes, no, you can't do that. You have to keep it to the wobbly set of casualty. Now, just a few final questions. You mentioned early on that you had problems with the Bristol accent when you started playing Duffy. 
just tell us a bit about that. Did uh, Duffy's accent evolve then? Well, yeah. I mean, to some people were absolutely... Brenda was furious about that. She goes, she said, imagine if I came in once and I just standed like... And I said, yes, but you are Irish. So you, if you suddenly went English, we'd all go, what the hell? I, um, I just felt I sounded like Wurzel Gummidge. I mean, you know, I try as much... Because when you hear someone who's Bristolian, and Bristol is a... You know, it, it can get very mummerset one side, and then the other side is much drier. And then you've got that little bit of a lil and my lover, and, and then you get Cornwall. Oh, my Lord. And I just felt that I, it was so... Um, every, it, it seemed to be all right. I, it kind of passed. I took myself off. I did go to Joan Washington, who is... Richard E. Grant's wife, and she taught me at, dra- at um, drama school, she taught me phonetics. And I went, because she's a language, you know, she's a voice dialect coach. And of course, I get all my phonetics, I get all my phonemes, and I'm, I'm still thinking I'm sounding like Wurzel Gummidge. And then we got a new producer, who's Peter Norris. Now, Peter Norris, he produced, uh, I think he might have had some, no, it wasn't The Fall. He did some of um, uh, Call of Duty. Line of Duty. He's a Northern Irish uh, producer. And he came in and wanted, you know, again, a new broom. He wanted to change everything. And he just said, drop the accent, drop the accent. And, I, and he, because he wanted to make it, because it was kind of West of England. And there were a lot of Welsh actors would come in. We get a lot of Bristolian guests. And he wanted to make it much, much less tied to anywhere. I suppose, in a way, urban it up a bit more so that they could bring in cockneys or manx or you know um a variety so if we were to find an early clip of you and compare it to duffy in her later years would we notice a difference oh yes you would and when people some people were incensed and they'd say you know angry of tunbridge wells and they the letters, how come? And I said, oh, well, you know, Duffy, well, she's fast tracking to being a sister. She wants to be a G7. She's been listening to a lot of Radio 4. <laughs> and then my other cheeky answer was if Charlie can lose his hair, Duffy can lose her accent. <laughs> so this is the final question that I ask everyone, really. Did casualty change your life? Um, yes, yes, uh, yes, of course it did. I mean, it, it gave me... Um, Initially, just as a, as an as an actor, it taught me my craft of TV working, of working with cameras, working in studios. Uh, so it put all of that under my belt, which, um, again, like I said, you can't do it except by doing it. Um, it exposed me to so many disciplines and uh People work very long days, um, not always for the greatest money. There's such discipline, and uh, what I have always found um, working on that particular show, I have nothing but respect, right from, you know, none of us get up until somebody's put some words on a page. And I have absolute respect right through, you know, the costume, that I mean, the makeup department on that, got a BAFTA craft, you know, for a first or second year. And the level of uh, skills on that show and people who have gone on to do other stuff because of that. So it's just been a fantastic training ground. I met my partner on that show and have a daughter. So in a personal sense, I know Derek met um, his partner. So there's that personal side of the show. Um, It's 
yeah, there's there's no harm. Being a household name is not a bad thing. It's being that name isn't a bad thing. Like you know, she's a, she's a grand girl. I've been. It's been an honour to have played her. I know that all her trials and tribulations, I know, have helped people in their lives. And and for some people, just entertained. You know, they just turn on and just like the story. And other people, it has really helped them get through um, personal difficulties, which is, like I've said before, you don't go to drama school um, to do something like that. But it's that show um, is to live out your politics through your work is... Um, that's that's a ch that's the cake with the cherry on top and the icing and the sparkler you know because sometimes as an actor you get asked to do a job and you go how much oh I'll do it for that yeah all right I'll do it grit your teeth I personally haven't had that many jobs like that I've done corporates a bit like that but that's take the money and run a bit but I've been blessed with you know um finding lovely people and having a good experience but yeah um, I, you know, I can just hand on heart say that that's, I, I'm proud to have been part of that show and everything it stands for. And I know it goes through its ups and downs, but its core sort of uh, message is, is good stuff. Do you regret that Duffy was killed off? Um, no, because you never know where, where everything's going after that. And, and that's, that's the nature, you know, you, you take everything on as it, as it comes because you don't come into this, you know, if you want to be in insurance, work in insurance, you work in insurance. Sorry to people who work in insurance. But this, this, is, this can be feast and famine and you, have, you, you take that on the chin with this. And she'd had a good run and her exit was uh, powerful. You know, she, I think, um, one of the things I said about that storyline is that, and that's why I really like how they did it, that she went back to being that last episode. She went back to being the nurse she was in her original uniform and they harked back because they wanted, it's like when people, this came as um, real uh, research. Someone said, you know, if you, if you visit a relative and they have dementia, the, their carers only know them as they see them. So people put a picture of the young person on their door or by to say this is who they were. And that's what they did through that last episodes with her in her uniform as a young nurse. And it's to remind people of her all through. It's her legacy of that character. And that, that was honoured because I asked for that. And also, you know, um, just, yeah, like I say, she's an extraordinary, ordinary person. And of course, the audience would have loved that, particularly the young audiences that would have grown up watching you. Uh, these characters have been in people's lives for such a long time. And it, it's lovely to have that connection, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Kath, it's been wonderful to talk to you and to hear about the evolution of the iconic character that you played, Duffy. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us on Distinct Nostalgia. It's been lovely going back over all those memories. It's been a real pleasure, Ashley. Next up in our Casualty at 35 series, we'll be re-releasing our interview with Jonathan Kerrigan, who was in the show in the 1990s. It was my training in television, I guess. So you could suddenly get thrust into a popular programme like Casualty, which I'd not seen before. Uh, I, I knew who Charlie was. My first scene was uh, as the character Sam applying for the, uh, doing a job interview in front of Charlie Fairhead. 
uh, and the character's meant to be nervous and uh, a bit stumbly and stuff. And there was no acting required. I was obviously <laughs> just nervous and stumbling over my words. So. Jonathan also reflects on his stint in Heartbeat. That's coming soon as the autumn season continues on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>